0: Welcome and thank you for downloading Movement Christian Church's sermon podcast. Here at Movement, we are passionate about God's word and helping each other move closer to God. Thank you for choosing to grow with us today. And now, here's our lead minister, Bobby Wallace. It has been a morning. It's been a morning and 18 thirds whatever that math is on that yeah and that's my point is it's easy to become comfortable with the cross it's easy to become comfortable with the cross and uh, have you ever taken something for granted or have you ever seen somebody take something for granted something that they are supposed to uh, know the power of but they just become comfortable with it and so it ends up getting them in trouble Um, I I just shared not too long ago about this this story I saw. You may have seen it. It was just maybe a couple months ago about this guy. I believe it was in India, and there was some little zoo that they had. And in this zoo, they had a tiger, and this guy was trying to get likes on Instagram. And so he was standing there posing in front of the tiger cage, and it was really like kind of a rudimentary cage. It wasn't like a lot of zoos that we have around here where, you know, you're not really close to the animals uh, or there's maybe some sort of plexiglass enclosure. This was just like an old-school Like, Looney Tunes Zoo cage, right? Just bars. And so he's standing there, he's like, you know, doing all this in front of the tiger in the background. And all of a sudden, the tiger goes, whoop, and just grabs him. And he starts squealing like a stuck pig. Like He's like, ah! And everybody's like panicking. They're trying to pull. They're pulling on his other arm. And that tiger is like, if we're playing tug of war, I'm winning. <laughs> you know, I'm at least coming away with a prize. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> um, something like that. And he's just pulling. And that happens because why? You forget the power of what you are dealing with. You forget the power of what you're around. And we can relate to that in everyday life. Maybe we haven't ever gotten that close to a tiger cage. But let me say, if you're a parent... Have you ever become comfortable when you've got like a two or three-year-old and then, you know, it's really quiet for a while? I think I'd rather be close to a tiger cage than go in to find what I'm going to find when a two-year-old's been quiet for about 20 minutes. You know, you've got to remember who you're dealing with, right? You're dealing with this little thing that is powerful and mighty and makes, you know, you know big things seem not so scary, right? So you've got you to gotta pay attention. Um, maybe, I don't know, maybe you can't relate to that. Um, if, you, if you're married, I'll just leave it there. I won't say anything else. (laughs) I'll let you fill in the blank. I'll let you, you know, carry that idea out. But here's the thing. What I want you to do is this. Where I started with this, and I didn't want to get too far out, but I've got to say this. This morning has been absolutely insane. Literally, 10 minutes before our service start, the whole sound just, just cuts out. We have nothing. We can't get to do anything. And little things have been going wrong. And, you know... We are almost five years old, but we're still we're still a church plant. We're you know set up and tear down every week, except today. Thank you, Jesus. We get to, we get to leave stuff set up, the school's tracked out for a little bit, and so we're excited about that. If you don't know about tear down and set up, join us and find out, and you'll you'll celebrate on days like today. If you need some joy in your life, help sign up. And days like this, you will be like, thank you, Jesus. So. Anyway, my point is this everything that could go wrong goes wrong. And we have to set up every chair every week. And you know, and people probably get tired of me like worrying about the angles. But I think about, you know, when you walk in, you don't want to see chaos. And you know your life has been chaos all week, right? Your life has been crazy. And when little sound issues go wrong, or you know, something doesn't happen exactly the way we want it, it's just it's frustrating. And it wears me down and it wears me out. And I let the devil get in my head, and I'm like frustrated and upset. And sometimes I just have to remind myself, yes, we want to do our best in everything. You know, Colossians 3 says, do everything as if you're serving the Lord. So everything you do, you want to do your best you can. But when it all boils down to it, it's all about the cross. And it's all about the empty tomb. That's the most important thing in the world, is Jesus glorified, even in our screw-ups, even in our mess-ups, even in the chaos, even in the disorder. Yes, we want to be orderly. The scripture even tells us, but we want to trust that God is being honored in everything we say and do. And I think if we're honest, even the most sincere Christians among us, I think we can struggle with being unmoved by the cross of Jesus. You know, I don't know what your story is. I I grew up in church, you know, grew up in church and heard the gospel, you know, preached many 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 times and some of you are like that some of you this might be one of your first times in church I don't know but the sad thing is is that the most amazing story and I hate to say story because that sounds like it could be false (laughs) the most amazing event the most amazing account of anything that has ever happened sometimes just becomes ho-hum, and that's crazy, you know, you may not feel, I don't know, my brain's all over the place, and I'm I'm wrestling, And, and it's sad to say, but we can be, you know, unmoved by the cross, and there's an old saying that says, familiarity breeds contempt, you heard that before? Familiarity breeds contempt, and I hope that if you're a believer, if you're a follower of Jesus, that you know, familiarity with the cross doesn't breed contempt, but I would say we can at least say this, right? Y'all listen to this. Familiarity at least breeds complacency sometimes. The more familiar that you are with the story of the cross, you really have to wrestle and struggle to make sure that you're thinking about who he is and what he did and what that means for you and me so that you don't become complacent. Are you complacent or are you still as passionate about Jesus as the first time you heard the gospel? And see, there's a real problem Guys, there's a huge problem if we who have been purchased by the blood of Jesus, who have experienced the grace of Jesus, if we're not moved and passionate about the story of the cross, how can we ever expect people who don't know Jesus to be passionate about it? How can we expect that? Why do you think that church attendance is declining all across the the nation? I won't say the world because a lot of places where the church is persecuted, the church is growing just exponentially. But where we become comfortable and we become so, oh yeah, Jesus, he died on the cross. That's really good. I'm going to go to church twice a year. Woohoo! Or I'm going to go to church twice a month. Uh-oh. We become complacent. We become so, we become so complacent with the story of the cross. And I'm not fussing at you. I'm fussing at us. Because it, it, my heart has gotten hard at times. Because I forget what Jesus did for me. I'm not having a mental breakdown, I promise. I'm having a breakthrough. what do we do if we are not passionate about the cross and and I know everybody's different but I'm telling you what I don't care what your personality type I don't care what your Enneagram number is I don't care about what you are on Myers-Briggs or I well uh, INTJ XYLMNOP I don't care about any of that if you know the story of the cross and the resurrection you cannot become complacent with it You should become at least a little emotional about it. Now, your emotion might look different than mine. Mine looks like a stinking fire hydrant that's been broken open. I know, I'm different. I'm not like everybody, and praise God for that, right? Everybody, all God's people said amen. But you know what? You need to be passionate in some way, in your way, about the cross of Jesus. And our first step, I believe, is recognizing how we respond to the cross, And we're going to look in the Gospel of Mark. We're still in our series here. We're about to wrap it up. We're really close to the end. When we're in the Gospel of Mark, our scriptures for the most part are going to be on the screen. There's a lot of Bible verses. Are going to, I'm not even going to have all of them up here. I normally put them all, but like, I knew it was going to be really hard for you all to follow along. So I want you to just listen sometimes. If you don't like Bible, uh, uh, this is probably not the place for you. I hate it. I hate to say that. But we want you to fall in love with the Bible. Even if you don't know the Bible much, we're going to share God's Word with you. Because it's not about my words. It's not about anybody else's words, anybody else's ideas. It's about God's Word. And so there's an account in Mark 15 where we look and see the cross. And there's some people that we can see that were there that day. And I believe if we look through this, this account, we can see people that maybe you and I might relate to. If we are not passionate about the cross, or if we are, we can look at them and we can see, okay, this is how they responded, that might be how I'm responding. So we're going to look at that this, together this morning. Which response do you see in your life? Mark 15, beginning in verse 16. It says, the soldiers took Jesus into the courtyard of the governor's headquarters, called the praetorium, and called out the entire regiment. They dressed him in a purple robe, and they have wove thorn branches into a crown and put it on his head. Then they saluted him and taunted, Hail, King of the Jews! And they struck him on the head with a reed stick. They spit on him (laughs) over and over. And they didn't do a dry spit, I, I guarantee you. They spit on him and they dropped to their knees, oh, worship, worship the king of the Jews. So-called king of the Jews, you fraud, is probably what they were saying. When they were finally tired of mocking him, they just did it so much they just got tired of it. They took off the purple robe and put on his own clothes again, and they led him away to be crucified. And I would be remiss if I didn't remind us of pulling in other gospel stories here and, and remind us what that means when they pulled off that robe. He had already received the 40 lashes. He'd been. Flogged. He had been beaten, and it was with a cat of nine tails. And this thing was this probably a wooden handle or a leather handle with these braided tails, nine different strands that went off. And embedded in those leather straps were pieces of glass and pottery and even metal if they had it. And so they would swing that thing, and they just beat his back over and over and over. Six out of ten people who suffered the the flogging did not survive. And it literally flays, it, it, it bruises and rips your skin open wide on your back with the flesh. And so his blood was just gushing out and oozing out from the subcutaneous tissue that was exposed to the air. And then they threw that robe on his back. And after a, a while, when the blood had begun to dry and that robe had acted sort of as a bandage or a band-aid, what did they do? ripped it off and the blood began to ooze again all those wounds that maybe were beginning to be dulled by shot were probably woken back up and he felt every ounce of that pain if it had even subsided at all and so i tell you we see the first type of people who were there that day and we have to ask ourselves are we that same type are we fake worshipers are we fake worshipers If you look there at verse 19, it says that the soldiers, they struck him on the head with a reed stick, spit on him, dropped to their knees in mock worship. Are you a person who is fake worshiping Jesus? And now you may say, I would never have been that kind of person. I would not be beating Jesus. You know, I would not be spitting on him. But I'm talking about a different type of fake. I'm talking about, honestly, a type of fake that's probably worse than what the Romans did. Because when they did their mock worship, you know what? Everybody knew that they were mocking him. The sad thing is, is that those of us who are claiming to be Christians, followers of Jesus, some of us are fake worshipers, and nobody knows until it's too late. Nobody knows it's too late, and they might be watching us, and they might be using us as an example. And so we've got to decide, am I a fake worshiper? Many claim to worship Jesus, but their hearts are far from Him. And Jesus chastised the Pharisees for this in Matthew chapter 15, verse 8. It says, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is a farce, for they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. And so they say their ideas are greater than God's ideas, and what they do is just a joke. It's fake, false worship. They honor me. They say all the right things, but their hearts are what? Far from them. Brennan Manning said a famous quote. The greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. And this is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. There's so many people who are watching fake worshipers and they don't realize it. And if they follow them instead of truly seeking to follow Christ, they are going to be led astray, and so it's up to us as the church to make sure that we root that stuff out of our heart because any of us and all of us can be guilty of fake worship. I don't mean simply, simply what we do in here. You know, it's easy to come in and, you know, you know maybe move around or do what if you're if somebody who likes to raise your hands or whatever. It's easy to do that and be fake. It's easy to do that and be real. And it could be a fake version of that. But I'm even more, that can be it, but I'm even more talking about the worship that you do with your life because every part of our life is supposed to be worship. The question is, who are we worshiping when we worship? You know, the way that you live your life, is it true? Is it real? Is it sincere? You know, I believe that this mock worship, as I said earlier, is worse because everybody knew the soldiers were fake, but they don't always know that we're fake. And we can cause real spiritual damage a lot of people and even ourselves. In 1 Timothy 4, 16, I'm just going to read this to you, it says, watch your life and your doctrine closely. Persevere in them because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. You will save the people who are watching you and listening to you. Make sure that your life matches up with what you teach so that people, when they follow you, will be following Jesus. So ask yourself, does my life Do my actions match my words? Do I tell people to follow Jesus, but I don't follow Jesus? It goes on in verse 21 in our main text there in Mark 15. It says, A passerby named Simon, who was from Cyrene, was coming in from the countryside just then, and the soldiers forced him to carry Jesus' cross. Simon was the father of Alexander and Rufus. And they brought Jesus to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. And they offered him wine, drugged with myrrh, but he refused it. Here's the next type of person we see on this account of the cross, and maybe, maybe we might be falling into this trap. Are we a peer pressure participant? Are we a peer pressure participant? You see, this guy... It's, uh, Simon uh, the Cyrene, we call him at times, was forced to carry the cross. You know, the Romans said, here, you carry it. And he really had no choice, right? If he wanted to live, what did he have to do? Carry the cross. Now, he may have been the most sincere guy in the world. He might have had pity on Jesus. He might have been a follower of Jesus. We don't exactly know. Um, he may have become one. We don't know. But what I'm talking about right then and there, the reason that he did what he did was because he was forced to. You know, he was forced to by some very powerful peer pressure. And the sad thing is a lot of us can worship Jesus not because we love Jesus with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, but because we fall under peer pressure. And, and right automatically our mind goes to people who were raised in church. You know, I mentioned that I, I grew up in church, and it was a real struggle for me for a long time to really worship God or not. With my, do I just do it because that's what I've done? I'm supposed to go to church. I mean, my mom was serious about us going to church. What do you think? I mean, you don't know my mom, but if I'd have said, you know, when I was seven, eight, nine years old, no, nah, I'm not going to church today. Dearly beloved, we're gathered here to remember this child. <laughs> I'd have met Jesus one way or the other, whether it was at church or face-to-face, you know. I, you know, it was, it was pressure. And kids who grow up in church, especially who grow up in church, can get caught up in this. A lot of people grow up in church and never adopt the faith of their own. Their faith is just their moms or their dads or their older brothers or sisters or their grandmas or their grandpas. And when the world gets tough, they just crumble or they just fade away or they just walk away. But it's not just young people that can struggle with this peer pressure participation. Many times, a a spouse, if one spouse is faithful to Jesus and the other spouse is not, that other spouse can come just sort of out of a peer pressure. You know, I want to keep the peace or I want to make my spouse happy. So I'm going along. But they never ever listen to what's being said. They just sort of tune in and, uh, you know, check out and that sort of thing. And it's easy to cave into that peer pressure, but they don't have a faith of their own. Or yet still, we can cave into society societal pressure you know i don't know if it's like this in every part of the country but here what a lot of people call the bible belt there's still a little bit of societal pressure of going to church and depending on what how much you care what people think or maybe you think it might help your business or your job you might say well i need to go to church that's what people do so i'm going to go and if that gets you there that's great but if that's the only reason you are there and you're not listening and absorbing and taking into your heart what's being said you might not be following Jesus completely and along that same note there's family tradition and there again you know I don't know if it's like that everywhere but where I grew up there was definitely a a family tradition of church we go to church our family's always going to church and a lot of times you could say see I've got this pew and it's got my family's name on it so you need to get up (laughs) that's why we do chairs we just rotate you never know what chair you're getting you never know you can try writing your name on it if you want but whatever But here's the thing, we can go to church because we have this family tradition, you know, and it's a scary thing to think that that's all our faith is. If that starts us off in our faith journey, praise God for it. But if that's all it is, it doesn't change your life, then what has it been for? Jesus is calling us to change our lives and follow him. So what's your motive for attending church? Are you part of the church or are you just attending? Look at verse 29. The people passing by shouted abuse, shaking their heads in mockery. Ha! Look at you now, they yelled at him. You said you were going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Well, then, save yourself and come down from the cross. The leading priests and teachers of the religious law also mocked Jesus. He saved others, they scoffed, but he can't save himself. Let this Messiah, this King of Israel, come down from the cross so we can see it and believe in him. Even the men who were crucified with Jesus ridiculed him, it says. This next type of person we see is an unsatisfied customer. An unsatisfied customer. You know, this one in the early co- church context and in other places in this world is completely mind-boggling to people that people would even consider think, you know being like a customer but oftentimes in the modern church especially in America, maybe even whole North America it's very much a consumer idea. What can the church do for me? Not what I can I do for the church. What can I do for Jesus? And so there's an unsatisfied customer idea and the idea is this, that you doubt God's power and so he needs to do more to show you that he is who he says he is and then you will follow him and I'll be honest there's a lot of times when I'm praying about something and there's a difficulty in my life I can quickly become an unsatisfied customer God if you'll just show up and you'll just answer my prayer and you'll just do this I will trust you and there's a lot of if 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 And you might not ever verbalize it, but it comes out in your actions. And this is so common. No matter what God does, it's never enough for some of us. And I believe this stems from a a core theology issue, that God saving us is not enough. You know, Jesus dying on the cross should be enough. And if he never did anything else for us, we should fall down and give him praise. And that's hard for us to wrap our minds around because we want this life to be perfect. We want it to look like somebody's on Instagram, right? That's just a highlight reel. That's edited, y'all. That's highly Photoshopped, nine times out of ten. But that's the kind of life we want. We want the perfect life. We want the perfect car, the perfect job, the perfect family. We want it all. And God, why don't you give it to us? Why didn't you answer my prayer? But what he did on the cross should have been enough. It comes from a sense of spiritual entitlement. And it really, if we dig down deep enough, it comes from the idea of God's lucky to have me. And I believe that the health and wealth gospel exacerbates this problem. People that teach the idea that if you trust God and believe God enough, that he's going to give you all the wealth and treasures on this earth and that if you don't have a great life it's because you don't have enough faith but if you look at scripture people that followed jesus the closest a lot of times had what would look like the worst life on this earth and i know that's not a great sales pitch but it's not a sales pitch it's a salvation pitch die to yourself so you can truly live forever this life is that It's nothing. It's the blink of an eye. But eternity is literally forever, and it's better than anything this world has to offer. In Matthew 12, verse 38, uh, I'm going to read part of it, and there will be part of it on the screen. It says, One day some teachers of religious law and Pharisees came to Jesus and said, Teacher, we want you to show us a miraculous sign to prove your authority. Verse 39, But Jesus replied, Only an evil, adulterous generation would demand a miraculous sign. But the only one I will give you is the sign of the prophet Jonah. And he goes on to explain that, you know, it's basically his death and burial and resurrection. He's going to be in the grave three days like Jonah was in the belly of the whale for three days. And he's saying, if all all you need is my, my coming back, you know, I'm coming back from the grave. That's all you need. My resurrection is enough. And so we're looking back on the resurrection. And that should be enough. That should be enough to remind us that God is good even when this life is not. So why did Jesus say it was wicked to seek after a sign? Well, I believe there's a few reasons. Here's just a couple, three, actually. I think the first one is this. It ignores what Jesus has already done. We've established that a little bit, right? It ignores what he's already done. And here's the second one. I want you to listen to this really closely. It puts us as a judge over Jesus. Jesus, if you perform the way I want you to in my prayers, I will then believe in you. Come on, Jesus, do your tricks. Come on. I'm worth it, and we might not ever say that, but that's our attitude and our heart and our spirit. And then the third idea is this, it places miracles over truth. It places miracles over truth. If you look at the Old Testament, you look at the Gospels, you look at the book of Acts, the miracle was always meant to draw attention to the message. It was just a means to an end. But just like people did back then, people still continue to do. They seek after miracles. They seek after after the show. But what we need is the, the message is confirmed. And the message has been confirmed. So trust what God says. Once we have the message, that's all we need. Truth will set you free is what Jesus said, not miracles. We've got the message. It's been confirmed. Let's believe it. And if you find yourself an unsatisfied customer, ask God to help you trust Him for who He is and what He did for you on the cross. Remind yourself that you are a sinner saved by grace. You don't deserve to be in the kingdom of God, but praise God, you are if you are a Christian. And this next one is pivotal in verse 33, beginning there. And this is a little bit different. This is what God's view is at noon darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock then at three o'clock Jesus called out with a loud voice Eloi Eloi lama sabachthani which means my God my God why have you abandoned me and some of the bystanders misunderstood what he was calling thought he was calling for the prophet Elijah and one of them ran and filled a sponge with sour wine holding it up to him on a reed stick so he could drink wait he said Let's see whether Elijah comes to take him down. Then Jesus uttered another loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. You see, God's view is the one that we need to wrap our minds around. It's what God was seeing and how he looks at the cross. And that was pointed out to us there in verse 34 and in verse 38 where it says, and it basically says that God turns his back on Jesus for a moment. I don't know the depth of how that works, but he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Do you understand that he had perfect communion with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? And for this time, as he bore the sin of the entire world, all that guilt, all that shame, imagine the shame you feel and multiply it times billions upon billions, and one man, Jesus felt it all at one time on his soul and spirit. And he felt... The the father turned his back. The father could not look at the sin, and that's why sin had to be paid for. And then it says there in verse 38 that the curtain was torn in the temple. It was the place that separated the holy place from the holy of holies, the place that only one person could go in one time a year with the blood of a lamb, the high priest. And now it's ripped open, praise God, because Jesus was that veil, and his body was ripped, and it opened a way for us to be able to be in the presence of God forever. That... That is the view of God with Jesus on the cross. I have a lot of scripture, so I'm just going to, for sake of time, I'm just going to read a few of them to you. I'm going to skip down to Romans 3, verse 5, and it says this. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance or patience, He had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so that as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Christ. You see, God has always been perfect. He's always been holy, and he could not allow sin to go unpunished. And so instead of suffering, uh, putting the penalty on us, on you guys, on me, he put it all on Jesus. And so he was still just in the fact that he didn't let sin just go by and not be paid for. Because you and I should have no hope of being in the presence of God ever. He didn't let it just go by and not be paid for, but he also became the just and the justifier. He paid for the sin through the blood of his son Jesus. The cross was God's way of staying holy and righteous by not excusing sin while paying for your sin when you and I could not. that leaves us with one more person to look at and see if we can see our response to the cross. Verse 39. It says, when the Roman officer who stood facing him saw how he had died, he exclaimed, this man truly was the son of God. And I just simply call this one repentant. Repentant. That's not a fun word. That's not a word we use a lot in our culture. That's not a word we use in our society a lot, but it's a good word. And it's something that all of us need to be. It says in verse 39 there that he's truly, he said, truly this guy was the son of God. Everything in his life up to that point had been making a mockery of Jesus. But when he saw all the events, he hadn't even seen the resurrection yet, y'all. Wait till you see that. (laughs) He had not even seen the resurrection yet, but at that point of what he had seen on the cross, he said, truly, this man was the Son of God. He saw everything that happened, and it led him to change his mind, which I hope led him to change his actions, because that's what repentance is. A change in your mind that leads to a change in your action. I hope and pray that this guy became a follower of Jesus. I don't know for sure. We don't know 100%. But I think it's a good bet everything he saw and the heart attitude that he had because a lot of people have been following Jesus and saw it all and still didn't get it. They still didn't get it. And so I want you to ask this question as we sort of begin to wrap this thing up today. Has the cross changed your mind and your actions? Has the cross changed your mind and your actions? You see, repentance is a state that we live in, not a one-time action. If you truly grasp the power of the cross, it should change you over and over and over. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20 says this, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me so I ask you everybody wake up I ask you do you live a crucified and resurrected life? Have you died to yourself because of the cross? Does Jesus live in you through the Holy Spirit? It all begins when you join with his death in baptism, it says in Romans 6. We're united with his death and united with his resurrection when we're raised up. And it, but it has to continue every single day. It's not enough to just go and go down a wet center and come up a wet center. You need to come up a new creation in Christ through your faith in Jesus and your willingness to not just repent once but to repent every day because there are things every day that get us off course and we need to turn around and and run back to Jesus do you live a repentant life and I'm gonna sit here and tell you I do not every day I struggle and I wrestle and God has been working on me in a mighty way that's why I'm I'm so fired up about this right now so here's three quick things I want you to digest To help you live a repentant lifestyle There's many more that we could add But I want to do three The first one is this Remember that you're saved by grace Remember that you're saved by grace You're saved by what? Grace is unmerited favor It's favor you do not deserve You are saved by grace And why I say that is because When you've been a Christian long enough You can begin to think that God's pretty lucky to have you (laughs) <laughs> yes praise jesus for grace and what he's made you i'm not de- i'm not denigrating that i'm not saying that we need to beat ourselves up about our old life of sin but we need to remember where we came from we need to remember that while we were still coming home the father came running out and threw us a party but we came from the pigsty and we don't ever want to go back there again remind yourself that you're a sinner saved by grace and your sins are paid for by the precious blood of Jesus and that helps you remember where your focus should be the second is this be a hearer and a doer of the word you need to continually be a hearer a reader a studier of God's Word but not just put it in let it come out of how you live be a doer of the word because it says in the book of James to be that to be a hearer and a, and a doer but it also says that faith without works is dead. Let it come alive in you and through you. And then the third thing is this, and this is going to be the hardest one, and this is why I think a lot of us struggle. Have intentional relationships with people who don't know Jesus. You and I need to be reminded every single day that there are people who are just like you and I used to be that need this good news of Jesus, that He died for them. And if you don't continually rub elbows with people who were hurting and people who were lost and people who don't know the truth of the gospel then you need to be working and finding ways to do that so that you can share this good news of grace with them and so the question i ask you today what is your response to the cross has the cross become commonplace to you Have you become complacent with what Jesus did for you? Today is the day not to say, well, I'm going to go home and think about that. Nope. It's to say, no more. I'm turning around right here and right now because I don't know the day or the hour that Jesus is coming back. I don't know who needs to come in contact with a truly resurrected follower of Jesus this afternoon. So if I don't get life straight right now, who knows who I'm going to steer in the wrong direction. I know it's not all about us, but we play a big part. And God has blessed us with an opportunity to be his hands and his feet, to be his body. And so it's time for us to stop playing games with what Jesus did on the cross. He died for you and for me. doesn't change anything in you that doesn't stir anything in you I'm praying for you and I'm praying for me that God would shake us down to our core and I'm sorry but I just love you too much to not pray that I love you too much to not pray that God knocks down every barrier every burden every wall every excuse everything so that you can understand what he did for you on the cross so today if you're outside of jesus that's the first thing we want to take care of we would love to take you and because you believe who he is and you're willing to turn away from sin confess him as lord we'd love to baptize you into christ today see that new life join with his death and his resurrection do it today that's the first thing For those of us who have been following And maybe we've become stagnant Maybe we're somewhere along that line Today is the day for us to say no more I'm not going to keep it in on the inside I've been playing games I've been an unsatisfied customer I've been doing all these different things I I don't take it to heart I'm changing today I'm changing my mind God help me change my actions And I'm going to tell my brothers and sisters I'm going to take somebody to the side and say Please help me, pray for me, encourage me Correct me, rebuke me if I need it Because it's too important Jesus did it all. We can be free. It's the status. Thank you for listening to Movement Christian Church's sermon podcast. Want to learn more about us? You can do that by visiting our website at movementchristianchurch.com or on our app available on iOS and Android devices under Movement NC.